According to a McKinsey study, there are more women in entry-level retail jobs than in any other industry. However, as their careers in retail continue, only 30% of these women make it to senior-level leadership positions. And, of those, only 13% make it to the C-suite, fewer than in any other industry. This is the Women's Retail Collective podcast, where we pull together retail's most influential women talk about their careers, how they made it to senior leadership and C-suite positions, and how they lead their organizations through the rapidly evolving retail industry. Today, I'm so excited because we have with us for the Women's Retail Collective podcast, Audrey McLaughlin, the founder and CEO of Frank and Eileen and Grayson. Audrey, thank you for taking time to be with us today. Thank you. It's my pleasure. I'm so excited to talk to you. So we we kind of met, but not really. But I saw you on a panel um, back when we were at Etail in Palm Springs in February. Yep. Um, and but I want to have the audience hear a little bit of background. I got to hear about you at that panel. But tell us a little bit about you know the early days of Audrey, um, where you grew up, and a little bit of your background, if you don't mind. Okay. Yeah, it was so interesting. I didn't get to see your face at the meeting, but you had the most. <laughs> interesting question of anyone from the audience. So I remember being like, who was that? Who that? So <laughs> That's right. It was outside great. and sunny. And, yeah, those, yeah. I'm a redhead, right? So that that level of sun in my face, like forget it. Like I was like a blind mole. So I definitely couldn't see anybody. But um, so um, in terms of my background, my, my family's all from Ireland, which ultimately informed all of the branding and love story around starting Frank and Eileen. Um, my, my mom in particular came from a big Irish family, um, you know, very traditional back then. My dad actually came from a small family, but, um, my dad was originally from Northern Ireland and then his, I named it after his parents, which is Frank and Eileen. And they moved then from Northern Ireland to County Wicklow. And so that's like kind of how the whole Frank and Eileen story is framed. And then my mom was from County Monaghan. And back in the seventies, my parents got married and decided to uproot everything they knew and, and set off for this idea that they could build a better life in America for their future family. And, you know, I, when I think about it, it's just so unreal. Like this is, you know, obviously pre-internet, pre-email, pre-FaceTime, pre-texting, like you were just out on your own with no way, really no way. And I have so many memories of my childhood, my mom sitting at the kitchen table for hours and hours and hours every night, writing letters to all of her brothers and sisters and her mom. And, you know, it's such a different time. So I think so much of who I am now has been informed by like this crazy sacrifice that my mom in particular made, you know, she's the driving force behind all of it. So they left Ireland and wanted to come to America, but, um, you can't just show up. So (laughs) they went to, at the time, a lot of Irish people were able to go to Canada. And so they went to Toronto and I was born there in Toronto. Um, And a year later, almost like Irish twins, my sister was born also in Toronto. And then a few years later, um, maybe like three years later, my dad um, got a job in New York City. And so that was this big opportunity for them to actually get to come and move to the US. So we moved to New Jersey and lived there for a few years. And um, as a kid, we moved around a lot. Basically, my dad was an engineer, and anytime he got a better opportunity, um, they they packed up all five of us and and we moved to another city. So I changed schools a lot when I was young, and wow. we had no family in the United States, so it was really just 
just us our whole lives growing up. Um, yeah. So. And then you, what made you decide to like after high school, you, did you start working in retail right away or like what, what kind of drew you to this? Yeah. I mean, so much of it's interesting. It kind of happened accidental. I think I had two paths going on, you know, my parents, my whole life when I was young, kind of tell me about why they came to the U S and what they wanted for their kids. And they would say, you know, here you can be anything you want. You can do anything in America. You can be anything you want as long as you're a doctor, a lawyer, or an engineer. <laughs> so those minor qualifiers. Yeah, sure. Yeah, so I'm like, okay, big choices. So I literally went through each of them. When I was really young, I wanted to be a doctor and I would watch all these doctor programs and surgery programs and blood. And I was like, oh, I'm going to be a doctor. Um, and then as I got older, I thought, oh, I want to be a lawyer. I want to wear these really, like, really nice suits and go to court. I love that suits are the qualifier. Like, oh yeah, uh, skip yeah. the blood. I'm into the outfit. Those blue doctor outfits is not really working for me. I want to really wear these little skirt suits. When I finally became 16 and could drive, and I was so excited, that's when I got my first job in retail. And I don't know what happened. I just loved it. I this where was, was it? This was, I worked at the Gap in like oh nice Oh my gap was like working at Barney's. I mean, yes, it was so nice. Um, I was so excited, but I really, um, you know, I had a unique perspective, but to me that was like designer and, uh, <laughs> um, but I really did love gap as a brand back then. They had some, they had, you know, it was very different than, than I think what the whole world has changed to over the last 25 years or something. But, um, you know, I learned so much there. It's actually really interesting. It's just like I learned everything about product and fit and working with customers. And, and I just loved it. I like I just kind of got addicted and was trying to figure out, all right, well, how do I eventually pivot going to engineering school to like working in, in fashion in some way? And um, but from a business point of view, not really from design, you know, so so that was just kind of interesting that like I think changed. I had an education path, but then I had this path of what I actually really enjoyed being around and doing and learning how to, how to bring out the best in people through what they choose to wear every day and how it makes them feel. And, um, you know, and that, that was really rewarding. And you would attribute that to your days at Gap still, you think? Yeah, it totally happened there. Where was this? Where, where, what city are you in? This this was in the suburbs in Atlanta. Okay. (laughs) This is like, at Perimeter Mall in in Atlanta 25 years ago so or 27 years ago. It was a really long time ago. I think there's something really unique, though, about, like, I, I used to work at J. Crew too. And I feel like, especially as I was, you know, kind of diving into the Frank and Eileen brand, too, there are things that you learn, like you or learned fundamentally when you started those jobs, even as like, you know, I was a, I was a young person. That was one of my first early jobs too, where you're learning so much about, like you said, how to make people feel good in a piece of clothing and just like minor details. Like we had to go to a course at J crew to learn about like the grow grain ribbon detail on the inside of the shirt and how that cord, like everything had a purpose almost yeah, it's um, funny that you bring up J. Crew because after I worked at the Gap, I went to work at J. Crew. This was probably like late 1994, maybe. And um, I mean, you know, such a different place. So, you know, back then it was still family owned. 
famous for their catalog, right? I mean, people yeah. just come in gripping it with their life and everything circled. J. Crew was really high end for me. I could definitely never pretend to afford J. Crew. And um, but it was interesting back then. They only had eight stores. They had a very specific strategy where they were only in Neiman Marcus wings um, of of malls. So right, right. Next to Neiman Marcus, and they would hire all the Neiman Marcus. Um, very seasoned sales associates with big client books. And so back then probably dates my age, but J crew ran everything with client books. Yeah. So it was, I mean, a different world. So it was all about clienteling and bringing them in and, you know, foot traffic was fine, but that wasn't really what they were built on back then. So it was pretty wild. So that was a very, like a whole different learning experience. I feel like I learned one whole point of view from being at the gap and the product side and the you know, you were just dealing with everyday people walking in and dressing them. And I, I really loved that. And then at J Crew, just another side of like clienteling and business. And, you know, that was really, so it was a very, very interesting learning experience at such a young age, right? I was like 16, 17 years old. Um, and then I graduated high school when I was 17 and, and went to, went to engineering school. Let's fast forward to today. When, okay. when you meet people, what do you, how do you introduce yourself? Like, what's your, what's your elevator pitch these days? Cause you have a lot going on. That's actually really funny that you asked that question because this day, I don't know. Um, once I was with someone, I really embarrassed them because we were in a, we were in a group of a very accomplished, very successful tech people. And someone said, Oh, what do you do? And I said, I make button up shirts. And the person next to me was very embarrassed. I was like, well, I do, you know, like I, so I don't really know, you know, I, I think that I'm, I'm so far past like, you know, having, you know, I don't know, you know, having some fancy pitch. Like, I think it's like, that's really what I do and make the most beautiful button up shirts in the world. And, you know, um, so I, so I don't have a perfect way of saying it, but I think it maybe depends on the audience. Like, you know, I definitely, I think I identify with being an entrepreneur and I think growing up, I always thought like, I want to build something. I want to make something. And I think there's a core part of being an entrepreneur. It's like you, you can build or make anything like all companies, you know, have a lot in common of how to build them and how to run them. And then you can decide what your actual product is. Right. So you could be you know, selling widgets or you could be selling button up shirts, but the fundamentals are, are all the same. Well, and for those who are listening that might not know, you make two, you have two core brands of button up shirts that are very lovely. Um, tell us a little bit about the two brands and, um, and one's been around for a while. One's, uh, somewhat newer. Yeah. Frank and Eileen, we celebrated our 10 year anniversary last year. So that's been an incredible, um, you know, my entire, my entire career, I've been obsessed with a button up shirt. So before I ever, but before I ever started Frank and Eileen and Grayson, um, I think I've been, a, I'm a serial entrepreneur now. I think it might be official. Um, I've been an entrepreneur for 17 years. And so I was quite young when I started my first company, but even before that, I always really was drawn to the button up shirt. I think being a young, you know, whether either even being an engineer, but being a young female founder, it's, you know, it's very hard to get people to take you seriously. And and it's like, you got to get up and fight the fight every single day. And so for me, um, the button up shirt was my armor. And so if I could just put that on every day, it just made me feel it was like this magic security and I could go out and fight the fight every day. So um, when I started Frank and Eileen, it was actually by accident. I had four uh, multi-brand retail stores at the time. 
um, which were named for my mom. They were called Una. Yeah. Explain that a little bit further because that's not something to gloss over here. So (laughs) tell us just a quick, quick background on that, Audrey. I think when I wanted to start my first company, you know, I, I was like, what do I want to do? And, you know, I think honestly, I was thinking back on how much I loved my time and experience at the Gap, right? And I just, I loved being on the sales floor with the customer and teaching them about product and how to dress themselves and how to style themselves and seeing the impact that had on people. So I decided my first foray into entrepreneurship would be to um, open a multi-brand retail store. So I opened the first store in Manhattan Beach, um, okay. California. And it was, that's like an amazing place to, to have a business. And um, then ultimately over time, I opened a second, third, and fourth store. Um, quickly realized, you know, how hard it is to be a multi-brand um, specialty store, you know, the margins, the competition with the department store. So I wanted to start doing vertical products. So I started designing um, my own brand and, um, you know, all the stuff on some level threads together. But, you know, I was trying to work with so many different um, manufacturers and learn and everything else. It was really hard to find someone to produce the quality I wanted. And when I finally did find somebody, they basically wouldn't give me the time of day and gave me like really pretty much unreasonable terms. And I was like, this is non-negotiable. I look forward to doing business with you. We shook hands 15 years later, we still work together. And, uh, but you know, they had these really, to me, like outrageous minimums, right? I just wanted to make product for my four stores and that clearly wasn't an option. So that forced me to launch my first wholesale brand. So I launched my first wholesale brand so that I could sell to other retailers and meet the minimums. Um, so that I could ultimately have have this vertical product for my stores. And through that, over a very long time, I, I made some um, relationships with incredible retailers that have been in the business for 30, 40 years and really taught me a lot um, about that side of the business. And then ultimately, I was working on a on another project, like a, a tissue cashmere program that I was really excited about developing. And I was at a factory in LA and they asked me to wait in this conference room, which seems to be a theme that people leave me in rooms <laughs> too long. So he left me in there for too long. So I started snooping around and I was pulling all the books off the bookshelf and reading them. And all of a sudden I pulled out this dusty book of um, Italian menswear fabrics. When I opened it up, I just almost fainted. So by the time the guy came in, I like honestly had lost interest in what I was there for. And no more tissue cashmere. Totally. I was like, enough, yeah, now, can I borrow Moving this book? <laughs> and he says, oh, that, that book is old. It's irrelevant. I was like, great. So you don't mind if I borrow it then? So he let me borrow it. I went home, looked up the, you know, the company name and, and called Italy. And to this day, I have no idea why they took my call. And um, they sent a gentleman out to see me at my factory, um, at my manufacturer's factory in Los Angeles. And 12 years later, we've been exclusive fabric partners all this time. And we've just had the most magical relationship. Um, and that's basically how Frank and Eileen was born. Like, I just fell so in love with these fabrics. And I was like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I already am obsessed with the button up, right? But I've, but I've never in my life seen a button up made for women using these unbelievable menswear fabrics. Why in the world are these used for men and not for us? So basically the whole idea of Frank and Eileen born, you know, at very late nights at the factory was, um, I want to build a whole brand and story around reinventing the button up shirt for women by using these beautiful 
um, Italian menswear fabrics that really women have never been exposed to. So um, I spent six months developing our um, signature silhouette, which is called the Barry, which is Frank and Eileen's son and my dad. Um, so we launched with one silhouette with these gorgeous Italian poplins. And I developed this signature wash that we call our crinkle. And all of our Italian poplins have this crinkle wash. And so we take these wildly beautiful menswear fabrics and then we mash them up and crinkle them and your collar sticks out in every different way. And um, 10 years later, it's still, there's still, you know, the berry and the crinkle and our white crinkle actually is our, is, has been our number one seller for 10 years. So it doesn't matter how fashion changes or how much newness we put out. It's still always the berry, poplin and white crinkle. That's our number one seller. So stands the test of time. And you also have, so you have, you had your daughter and yeah. then you have another brand, Grayson. Yeah. And tell us about that and kind of the continuation of the Frank and Eileen story. Yeah, so as you know, and all moms know, you know, mm-hmm. having a child turns your world upside down and all of a sudden life as you knew it <laughs> no longer exists. And, you know, you just have a completely different perspective on everything. So it was interesting for me having my daughter, Grayson, um, you know, I, I think like, I don't think I really ever thought I was going to become a mom. And so when I did, maybe it was more profound for me, like, whoa, you know, it really does change the way you look at the world. And we're, she was born in such an interesting time, I think, where, where girls are going to grow up with a different set of rules than we grew up with. And they're going to grow up with a different way of thinking than, than you and I grew up with. And I think it's such an exciting time. And there's all these young girls out there just like rewriting the rules and breaking down the barriers and unwilling to accept things the way that they were before. And, and I think I was so excited that my daughter's going to be part of that. And I just wanted to figure out a way as an entrepreneur, like, how can I be part of that conversation? How can I be part of that change for her and her generation? And, um, so ultimately that came out in the form of launching a new brand called Grayson And we really wanted to be able to, you know, talk to that younger, younger woman, whether younger in age or younger in the way that they think in terms of just, you know, changing the way we live, changing the decisions that we make, changing, changing the rules. So, yeah, so we launched Grace. And of course, around my, my obsession of the button up shirt is, you know, the foundation of everything that I do. So um, we also launched it through the lens of like one ridiculously perfect button up shirt um, for that customer. And it's fantastic. I have oh, one. It's so good. And I mean, we on. make the most beautiful and, shirts. And it's, uh, it's, it's definitely, especially as a mom, <laughs> it's a shirt that can withstand lots of washing and wearing. Yeah, we did. We really did. We, you know, we, when we were um, launching Grayson, instead of using traditional, a traditional fit model, like, you know, usually doing the fashion business, we decided, you know what, forget it. I want to use real women. Yeah. So we use 30 real women of all different ages, shapes, sizes, Um, And we basically would bring them into the office and we had this big chart. We would chart everything about them from their height, their shoulders, their bust, their waist, their hips, their age, everything. And, um, and we ultimately designed this one silhouette around what we were discovering um, as a female form. And definitely at least over half of the women that we were, that we were working with were moms, you know? So we really took that into account. There's like, um, kind of specific challenges and needs that moms have from simple things of being able to like reach up and lean over or, you know, having, you know, new moms having like a soft midsection and, you know, so, and with button up shirts, you always have to, you have to deal with shoulders, bust, waist and hips. 
And so um, we really kind of took all of those factors and really just like engineered this perfect shirt from the ground up to fit all of these women. So um, yeah, so I definitely think it's a mom favorite. (laughs) Well, and one of the other things that I noticed, um, just as I was reading about you, Audrey, before this, is that you don't really describe these button up shirts as just a shirt, like the way that you talk about them. And even when you describe, you know, your, your reason for creating the first Frank and Eileen shirt, that it was an armor of sort, Mm -hmm. you really kind of give these shirts their own personality. And I'm curious if you, can you tell us a little bit about where that comes from or, or what inspires that? Why, why do you do that? Sure. Um, you know, I think originally it does stem from this idea that for me, you know, getting up every day and being able to put on a button up shirt made me feel like strong for the day and I could go out and accomplish anything and I didn't have to feel self-conscious or anything. And I think when I think back my whole life as a woman, it's like, I think, I think there's a lot to this moment in the morning of getting dressed. And Mm -hmm. I think how you start your morning, you know, whether it's like, are we having a good hair day or a bad (laughs) hair day? Um, you know, what I put on that day, do I feel great? Do I feel my best or do I feel my worst? And I think, I think for me personally, but you know, I think for millions of women, like sometimes we forget that moment of getting dressed in the morning can really set the tone for the whole day. Like how mm-hmm. confident do I feel? How effortless do I feel? Cause if I'm self-conscious about what I'm wearing or my hair, like it, it might distract me throughout the day, you know? So I think by creating these incredible button up shirts, like it's this feeling that you can start building them and collecting them, which our customers do all the time. You start with one, you go to two, three, the next thing you have 10 and you can just reach into your closet every day and know that when you put this on, you're going to feel your best that day. And that's, that's an incredible gift to be able to have. And I think between technology and our becoming a mom, like our lives are so fast paced now. It's so intense. Like gone are the days where you have time to change outfits three times in the morning and figure out which you feel the best in. So being able to just know, I'm going to reach in and grab this striped shirt today. I'm going to feel amazing. I'm going to grab this flower, tumble linen tomorrow. And you know, you just, it like saves you a lot of time, makes you feel fantastic. So we love being part of that. Well, and it's not just, you know, normal everyday moms who are our fans and who are going to your shirts as the first thing they want to pull up in their closet that makes them feel strong and empowered. You have some pretty uh, mega, mega fans, Audrey. I can't believe it. How, what does it feel like to have Oprah calling you and be like, uh, please give me all of your shirts. We're super flattered. Of course, you know, Oprah doesn't personally call. Well, that sure. Amazing. Maybe someday there's always goals, right? Hashtag goals. But her team um, has, has, you know, actually discovered Frank and Eileen very early on. I feel like it was within our first year or two and they've always been really big fans, um, and have been incredibly supportive to us throughout the 10 years, whether it's, you know, Oprah wearing it on the cover of her magazine or featuring it within their magazines or, you know, during Christmas and shopping guides and stuff like that. So that's always been obvious. I mean, you know, I'm sure it's no secret when you, you get a magazine and Oprah's on the cover in your shirt. I mean, people start screaming at the office, you know? So, right. Um, well, and you, wasn't that, I, I read somewhere too, that that was part of how you created your first online store. Is that true? Yeah, actually. Yeah. Because they, you know, they were, they were big supporters from the beginning. And when we launched Frank and Eileen, you know, which was like almost 12 years ago now, I mean, e-commerce didn't really exist. And we certainly, we were a hundred percent wholesale. So they were calling and saying, oh, we're going to put this 
um, gingham. They took like a group of ginghams and the berry, um, the crinkle that I was telling you about. And they were going to yeah. feature it in the magazine. And they said, well, we need, um, we need by Friday a link of, you know, where we're going to send people to online. And I said, well, we don't have online and we don't sell anyone <laughs> online. Right. And they were like, well, we need something by Get the date, something. you know, thing comes out, which the magazine was coming out in five weeks. So it's like, okay, I'll get back to you. So I call, I call some developers. I'm like, I need to design and launch a site within five weeks. And they spent oh like God. 20 minutes telling me why we couldn't do that and why it wasn't enough time. And I was like, well, now you have 20 minutes less than you had when I got here. <laughs> so, um, we did it and we, we launched the site for $5,000 fully functioning e-commerce site that was integrated with our, um, you know, with our inventory system and our, our WNS in the warehouse. And it was like the greatest $5,000 investment I've ever made in my entire life. If only that was replicable. Um, but yeah, we used that site for many years and, and did a lot of business on it. It was, you know, very simple, but it worked back then. And, uh, yeah, so basically Oprah, Oprah and her team forced me to launch our e-commerce business. Thank well, you, Oprah. Well, you know, Audrey, I love, especially what you've been talking about lately. This is a great example of that. But one of the things that I really admire about both when, when I saw you speaking at ETAIL on that panel and, you know, you had uh, another um, interview with Business of Fashion and you are very specific about talking about how being this entrepreneur is not glamorous. Like, you almost de-glamorize this, this role that I think so many people today, everybody's an entrepreneur and everybody's going out and doing it. And, and I really, being an entrepreneur myself, really appreciate that, uh, just that whole uh, narrative that you're bringing out. Can you tell us a little bit about what it's been like, um, what the, what the last sucker punch to the face was <laughs> like the Oprah, the Oprah getting an e-commerce site up and running and uh, ready to serve every one of Oprah's followers in five weeks. What, what was the last thing that kind of happened to you where you're like, Oh, this is, this is awful. This is hard. How am I going to get up and do this again? And yeah. how did you get I mean, through I, it? I think I like to, I think I really like to tell people that being an entrepreneur is really really fucking hard. Yeah. Um, cause I think it's easy, especially if you've been doing it for a long time, it's easy for it to look easy from the outside. And I think it, there's a, there's one of the problems with that is that other people feel like they're doing something wrong and that they're failing. You know, people come to me all the time, like, this is so hard. Like, what are we doing wrong? I don't know if I can hang on. I'm like, enjoy the ride. This is it. This yeah. is it. Like, yeah, it's crazy, you know? And um, it's funny because when I was at Etel West, when I, I was speaking, I said, you know, what I like to ask people when they're thinking about becoming an entrepreneur, I say, are you sure you really want to be an entrepreneur? Like, what is it that you love to do? And my joke is that if you love waking up every day and getting punched in the face, I remember yeah. for you. And, you know, it's kind of ironic because, um, you know, we just finished celebrating our 10 year anniversary with Frank and Eileen, and that was an incredible year. And we launched for our 10 year anniversary, we launched our new brand Grayson and our one year anniversary was March 14th of this year, a couple weeks ago. And we were on top of the world. Um, you know, Frank and Eileen was doing incredibly well. Um, Grayson was the number one brand in anthropology and grown unbelievable. I mean, just like numbers that I can't believe we were able to grow in one year. And so we were having this incredible celebration on like, you know, the 12th, 13th, 14th of March, having our one year anniversary. And 
One week later, I got the ultimate sucker punch of my entire career, which was that the um, president of anthropology sent out an email and let everybody know that they were canceling all open POs for the rest of the year. So for us, that was, um, you know, all of a sudden in one minute going from being the number one brand to having our POs canceled for April, May, June, July, August, September, October, and November. Mm. So that's how far out we are. We're planned for production. So you know, we're in the process of selling December, January, and February of 2021 right now. So, you know, there's really long lead times in the fashion business. So the consequences of these kind of things are unbelievable. And that moment, I mean, I've never, I've never had the wind knocked out of me to the level of receiving that news. It was just, it, it took quite a minute to be able to breathe again. So, you know, but you recover you get back up, you know, ultimately as an entrepreneur, like it's just like every day, you know, you, you are serve more problems, different kinds of problems every day. Some problems are good problems and some problems are bad problems, but you're definitely going to have problems every day. This one is obviously unprecedented and, um, but you get back up and you have no choice, but to first do the damage control and figure out how you're going to navigate that. Obviously we've, We've literally worked 24 hours a day, seven days a week through the last three weekends trying to um, unravel, you know, and minimize the damage to our supply chain and our partners. Um, but then, then you basically immediately get back up and say, all right, well, with any kind of extreme situation comes opportunities that didn't exist before. And it's our job as entrepreneurs to figure out what those opportunities are and even just in the last two weeks, it's been very interesting. Like while, you know, while on one hand it's extremely painful, something's come out of it in that I've had an, like an, um, a completely different opportunity to reach out to a bunch of female founders that I've never known before. Or maybe I met one time or maybe I didn't know I'm just a super fan and I buy their product and been able to reach out and, and this, this, um, everybody just wants to band together and help each other. So I feel like I've already built relationships only in the last, you know, 14 days that are going to last a lifetime. Um, we decided to all of a sudden quickly for Frank and Eileen to start featuring, like creating content on our e-commerce and social media and email and featuring female founders that I love and asking our community to please understand the importance of um, supporting small businesses, female founders, especially the ones that are self-financed. And like during this time, you know, not to, not to isolate anyone out, but you know, if you're choosing to, to buy a brand, please try not to buy it from a billion dollar company. Please try to buy it from the brand directly or from your local specialty store, specialty store. So the other thing we started doing, um, immediately like last week was starting to identify three amazing specialty stores across the U S every day and starting to tell the story of who they are, what city they're in, why they're so special. And we just, we want to just take our entire community and, and link them all together. Right. We don't want it to be Frank and Eileen against the specialty stores or against the department stores. Like we're all in this together. And if everybody can lean in and help each other, then we'll make it out that much stronger. So it creates some opportunities like that, that we otherwise would have been going too fast maybe to see, or it would have taken us longer. You know, a lot of these things were already all in the work, but all of a sudden you press pause on a bunch of other stuff and press go on that and just make it happen really fast. And so Frank and Eileen is now a 
content provider, you're making apparel, you're coming up with multi-brand retailers from other female founders that you're going to put out into the world. You've got a lot going on. You, you, I think you're, you're sufficiently filling that, those buckets, all of them. It sounds like, is, is there anything, Audrey, as you look back at your career that is still on the bucket list? In general, I don't, I don't think so. I think I, I think I love the journey so much that I don't necessarily have some bucket list that I, that I want to accomplish that we haven't. I, I love, I love our team so much and what we're doing. We love our supply partners and, and, you know, I think, I think we, we really enjoy growing the business in an organic way and seeing where it leads us and the opportunities instead of setting, you know, some artificial, you know, goal out in the future and working towards it. I think we're, we're much more, you know, organic in that way. Yeah. I mean, that's very apparent from what you're, what you've done in the last three weeks too, I think, Audrey. So I think you should take some, take some credit for that and, and really feel some accomplishment that that's really incredible. Um, as we look back on your career and to kind of close us out here, as you're thinking about it, if you could go back and right now write someone a thank you note for where you are today and someone who's impacted your career and, you know, we, it could be positive, it could be negative, it could be the coronavirus. Uh, <laughs> dear who, COVID-19. Who, yeah, dear COVID-19. Expletive, 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 expletive. Uh, no, who would you write that thank you note to and what would you say? That's a great, you have so many good questions. Um, you know what, if you want to call me in three to five years and ask me the same question, I might write a letter to COVID-19 because, <laughs> you know, I, I think it will create some, some big changes and some interesting things that we might do very differently. So that would be a good question. To I would to love ask. to read that. Again, would, in three to five years. Yes. If I had to pick one person now that I would want to write the letter to, there, there would be several actually, but one of them would probably be Ron Herman. Um, and he's the founder and owner of Ron Herman and what everybody knows in LA is Fred Siegel and Melrose. Um, and you know, he was in the business for 40 years and he was one of my first relationships that I built. Um, you know, I came into this industry and into LA and I didn't know a single person and I really, really wanted to know whoever was behind Fred Siegel and Ron Herman. And when I moved here, I didn't even know how to say it. I used to say (laughs) Fred Siegel. Um, you know, from a long how way. did you, how did you connect with him? Well, I mean, it's the most famous store in all of Los Angeles, right? So right. I drive over there every day and be like, how could I know someone here? And years went by. And then ultimately, you know, a lot of years went by. And then, um, I started, my, I had my four retail stores and then I had my brand with the manufacturer that didn't want to work with me, but has now been with me for 15 years. And then I found out he was also doing production there. So okay. I really wanted to, really wanted to meet him and, and he refused to meet with me and I really wanted to sell them my brand, but they wouldn't buy my brand. They wouldn't, they wouldn't come and see me for market or anything. So, so did you hide out in Poplin fabric bolts in the back of the yeah, Finally one day I was like, all right, all right. This was before Frank and England. So I was like, that's it. I yeah. got to come up with a way, like I, I need, I need to meet this man. So I also did not know his email address. So I basically came up with a plan and an email and my idea was I'm going to come up with, I'm going to come up with an offer he can't refuse. That was my thought. 
And then okay. I'm going to make up every single email address you could ever imagine. And <laughs> Ron is bound to be his, right? Ron at Ron Herman, Ron Herman at Ron Herman, R dot Herman at Ron Herman, R, you know, everything you could ever imagine. I made it all up. Um, so I sent him the email and lo and behold, he answered me. And first he said, what's the catch? And I said, there is no catch. And he said, all right, be at my office tomorrow at 11 a.m. So I went to his office wow. at 11 a.m. And we basically agreed to build this relationship where he, he would give me a lot of information about what was going on in the market and what the customer needed. And I would do all the work. So, you know, he's like, I travel around the world. I've been in this for 40 years, but um, you know, he was like, honestly, I have no idea how you work with your manufacturer. They make the most beautiful product on earth, but they're incredibly difficult to work with. I don't know how you do it. And I was like, Oh, I live there. <laughs> so I, I rent office space inside the factory. I brought my couch there and my dog and I sleep there three to five nights a week. So that's how I get it done. Right. So he says, Audrey, there's no world in which I'm willing to make the kind of sacrifices you do. So I, I'll help you if you'll help me. I was like, deal. So, so we started developing product together and we would, you know, he would, was very integral in helping me design the collections and merchandise them. And, you know, my, my letter to Ron would be extremely long, <laughs> <laughs> but there's so much to thank him for. And, you know, it's like, there, there are a few people that really stand out in my life that have had an unbelievable relationship, but he's someone who, um, you know, the, the, the fashion business is a particular business that attracts particular kind of people. And Ron really stands out way outside of that as someone who has so much integrity and, and, you know, just is just such an incredible person and his, and his wife and family. And that I'm so incredibly grateful to have have been able to have that journey with him. And so, yeah, it would be a very long letter, I think, but <laughs> hey, both cry. that's okay. Those sometimes those are the best letters. Well, Audrey, thank you so much for being with us today and for sharing your story. Um, it was such a great conversation and, um, I, I really thank you for taking the time, especially with, with everything going on in the world you know, right now. It's a highlight. I think everybody, Everybody needs something like this to be able to, you know, change what we're thinking about and think about the future and some positive things or even like that question, you know, talk about someone that means so much to me and that's had such an impact in my whole life. Like, you know, I think right now everybody's, you know, a little extra emotional yeah. and being able to think about some of those things is really nice right now before, before I get back in and roll my sleeves up and, and, and fight this crazy, this crazy COVID fight right, right. now. Well, good luck to you. And thank thank you you so much, Audrey. Thank you. Uh, If you could have your own concert and you could choose any three bands, dead or alive, who would you choose? Oh my gosh. This one's hard for me because I'm not a big music person. That's okay. Um, All I listen to is Frozen now, you know? Oh my Um, God. (laughs) I'm like, I'm a little disconnected from adulthood. Oh, I know. I know. Oh my it's god! Okay. I don't know. Some of my like all-time favorites are like Tracy Chapman. Oh yeah. Um, which I have like a whole childhood story of my favorite thing in the world. I never went to concerts. I grew up with no money, and I was on my way to her concert, and I had these like overalls on, and I had the tickets in my overalls. I'd never been so happy in my life, and I'd go to the airport to pick up my 
uh, my high school sweetheart and we were going to Tracy Chapman together. I was so excited and at the airport somehow I went into the bathroom and when my overalls flipped over, I lost the ticket. Like, I think no! Yeah, so I never in my life got to see her in concert. Oh, no. So now you're asking me my 40s, and so that immediately comes to my mind because it was something I always wanted to do and I never got to do.